Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, we are so excited to be joined by serial entrepreneur Richard Walton. He's the founder of global volunteering company GVI and leading virtual assistant company A Virtual. Hi, Richard. How are you? Hi. Um, I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. We're very excited to have you. So we wanted to start off giving you an opportunity to describe your journey. We know you've learned a lot along the way, and we'd love to hear about your journey and how you learned about the importance of workplace wellness. Cool. Um, Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. So where did it all begin? Um, So I started my first business, um, GVI, which you just um, introduced when I was at University College. Um, in the UK, and I was 22 years old. And um, goodness me, my aim back then, um, at the ripe old age of 22, when you know everything, um, <laughs> was was to do something that, um, to be quite honest with you, um, the mission was quite simple, was to do some good and have a lot of fun in the process. Um, and to do it, and I guess also, to, and by fun, I mean, Um, And that was working with people that I liked and that were really passionate and enjoyed their work. So I think without knowing it, at a very early age, um, I was really committed to making sure um, that I worked with people um, who, um, in ways that got the best out of them, because that made um, my experience all, all the better and easier. And I think one of the things that has um, that help, has helped me as an entrepreneur is I've always um, sought out the easiest way to get around problems. And normally, the easiest way to get around problems is to make sure that you have a happy team. Um, and it took me probably another six or seven years to actually to actually kind of realise that it was you know more about and actually doing some more research on on how to help people as individuals find their place, you know, find what motivates them in a workplace and make it comfortable for, for them. But yeah, uh, very early on, um, that's what I set out to do. And, and then I had a very interesting journey taking me to work in different places around the world um, before kind of remote working was even a, a thing. Um, I was running GVI from the, the rainforests of, of, of Costa Rica and I've now, I've now ended up in Cape Town running a virtual assistant business where, where we supply remote employees to companies all over the world. And over the last, I guess, over the last 10 years in, in particular, um, I've become, because of some things that have happened to myself personally, I've become very, very much more interested and spent a lot of time reading and, and talking about um, work life balance um, and and also how um, companies can help their employees work better um, and be happier in the workplace. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So it sounds like a lot of your journey was sort of prompted by personal experiences or personal learnings. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the things that happened to you in your life and sort of what you realized about the value of wellness, how that translates into your understanding of the importance of wellness in the workplace? Yeah, sure. So, it, so there, there actually, there, there was a massive um, trigger point for me. Um, so when I was, um, I guess I was, I spent probably five years traveling with my wife, um, setting up different um, programs um, for GVI. And um, with the um, birth of, the impending birth of our first child, I think we were living in, 
um, Ecuador at the time, we decided to try and be sensible um, to bring up our child like everyone else. So we moved back to um, England to do that. And we moved into a little house um, and got ready to kind of live um, kind of a life that I guess I wasn't really um, that excited about. And um, I was, the business was growing well, um, but I, I guess I was stressed about having a new, a new, a new child. I was stressed about moving back to the UK um, and there was a lot of other stresses going on. And, and I guess my, my place in work was very unhealthy. Um, I was working really, really hard. I wasn't exercising. I was drinking too much and my diet was appalling. I didn't even know what a healthy diet was. Pretty much I ticked every single box there was about you know, how to um, be unhealthy and unhappy at home and in the workplace. And I had a chance meeting with a doctor um, as I was um, being required by my bank to get health insurance um, for, a, uh, for a loan. And my doctor pretty said to me that um, I would be dead by the time I was 50 if I carried on the way I was. And, you know, when you've got a, a two-week-old child, um, that really hits home. I mean, it hits home anyway. <laughs> but when you've got a, a two-week-old child, it really hits home. And I went back and I spoke to my wife and I said, you know, what the doctor had said. And she said, well, you know, what, what do you think is going to make you happy? You know, what, how can you change your environment? Um, yet, how can you, you know, obviously keep running the business and doing what you need to do? And I said, well, you know, I need to, I think exercise, I think right then, you know, exercise and eating well and getting rid of the bad habits was the big thing for me. And um, I said to her, well, I've always wanted to be a surfer. And um, about a year before, we'd been traveling through Costa Rica and I'd started surfing a bit and she said well why don't we you know give that a go and I've got a very understanding wife and we moved to the rainforests of Costa Rica with a four-week-old baby and we spent the next um, eight years living there and we had four children and I started to get you know the the community that we we're living in was very focused on things like meditation yoga um, eating well exercise and I started to um, develop very good habits. And I was just fascinated by, obviously, you know, much happier as, a, as an individual, but my, my productivity, uh, my clarity, just everything um, in, in kind of a work context improved. And it just, it just seems so obvious talking about it now, but it just really hammered home that, you know, if, if you're healthy and happy and, and you enjoy your work and you've got the energy, then your output is just so much greater. And I just started spending a lot of time talking to my employees um, on an individual basis about not only what made them happy in a workplace environment, but also what made them thrive um, in their personal lives. And there's definitely a connection between the two. And I felt as, as, as the leader of the company that it was my job, without wanting to pry into people's personal lives, and there's a fine balance to be had, but I thought is necessary to know what motivates people personally and, and to do everything I could to help them in both their workplace and their personal lives. Um, so yeah, that's how it all started. Wow. I mean, your journey, you seem so lucky that you had that doctor to open your eyes and a wife that was so supportive. Um, so I'm sure you're very grateful for both of those things because it seems like it pushed you in the right direction. <laughs> um, so I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense that you're taking everything that you learned and you're talking to your employees and that's how everything started. Um, 
I think that's so important to have those conversations with employees and get to know them, build those relationships. I mean, we know that having a good leader, a supportive leader can really impact wellness even more so than any other programs. So as you've been going through this journey and creating positive work environments for your teams, what have you learned? Like, what are the biggest mistakes that you've seen other people do or that you've done that you've learned from that um, you've then adapted to change to make your work environments even more positive? Well, um, there's so many, and I'm, I'm sure I'll forget some um, some crucial learnings um, that I've had and mistakes that I've made. Um, the mind is a wonderful thing about blotting out all the mistakes that we've made. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll try my best. I think probably um, the the biggest issue I've had is that, as I said, um, I immediately started talking to people individually, and I established good relationships with them. And then as the business scaled, I tried to develop processes and systems that would fit everyone into the same box. And I think what I've learned and what I've the mistakes that I've seen other people make and what I've definitely made myself is that there isn't a one solution. I, I don't think that there is a one solution fits all. Um, and we are, you know, we are all, we are all motivated by different things. We all thrive in different environments. Um, on, on, in a very simple way, um, a very simple example, um, some people work better in the mornings and some people work better in the evenings. Yet the workplace, most workplaces ask people to work between nine and five. And that's a real struggle for some people. Um, for some people, you know, they're, they're, they're going to work much, much more productively if you give them complete flexibility over their hours. I, I do understand this isn't possible for every, single, for every single job, but I guess my point is, is that the more companies can look at treating people as individuals and designing the workplace around the individual, um, I, think, I personally think the more success that, that, that they will have. And certainly, um, um, it, you know, in my, um, in, in my experience of visiting other companies, the biggest mistakes I, I've seen made, I see this so much, is you're, I'm sure you've seen this, you'll walk into companies and you'll see the obligatory, you know, table, tennis table and the foosball and the, and the bar in the corner, the core <laughs> values on the wall and all the things that we read about. And, you know, you, you put them up there and everyone goes, yay, and then it's kind of, then it's gone. Because actually, uh, that mm-hmm. that at the core that isn't what most people want and they don't you know, you know the pizza fridays on uh, isn't the thing that's going to make most people happy and comfortable at work and i think we have to look deeper um at the individual and talk to them about what it is that motivates them and what they need um in their workplace that's also going to help them have um better personal lives as well yeah so really kind of trying to stay away from those trends or being attracted towards the trend of, you know, we need a nap room and we need, you know, this, uh, you know, yoga at lunch, like maybe those things are helpful, but maybe they're also not. And you're kind of throwing spaghetti at a wall. So taking a more strategic approach, as you mentioned, actually asking people what it is that they want to see happen and acting on that is a much better, more, you know, focused approach to wellness than just kind of chasing a shiny object in a sense. Um, so I'm curious, uh, you know, a lot of the people that listen to 
our show also have um, entrepreneurial efforts of their own, um, or at least they have kind of like side hustles or something going on um, in addition to full-time work. If someone is uh, trying to create a better work environment or uh, start, uh, you know, from scratch in shifting a work environment, um, what are what's kind of like a step-by-step or what are some lessons learned or things that you would really recommend they do right away to start turning the wheels or putting the wheels in, in motion in a different way. So, um, as I said, as, as I've said, you, I, I believe, um, that, that it's important that you design workplaces around the individual. However, um, if you scale a company and um, that's very, you know, obviously that's very easy if there's two or three people, but if you scale a company that becomes very, very hard and you get, you know, 50 to hundred people, Actually, I think it's really important in the early days to um, to spend a lot of time um, recruiting people who are going to fit into your culture, because then there are going to be similarities around the type of workplace um, you know that um, that you've designed and that they want to work in. So um, you know, obviously, um, you know, having thinking deeply about what is your culture, what's the what's the workplace that you've designed, how is that going to look, what's what's that going to look like, and. And using that, you know, when you're recruiting people is, is, is the first step without a doubt. So making sure you've got the right people coming in who find your workplace attractive is key. Um, and then it's um, and then it's, you know, having these the, these conversations, um, ideally face to face conversations with your employees as many as possible, as frequently possible, I think is, is just so valuable. And I think it's the first thing that 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 most leaders um, let go of, um, and certainly I've done it as soon as the companies start growing above, you know, 20, 30 employees. And it's funny because I talk to so many entrepreneurs and if you ask them about, you know, what were the happiest days of, of their company, they'll all say at the beginning and they'll all say, and they'll all mm-hmm. say, oh, it's because I knew everyone and I knew what motivated them. The team was strong and this and that, but it's our own fault, really. We, 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 we do let go of that and, you know, we get irritated with all the people issues and then we bring in an HR manager and all this kind of stuff. And then we kind of become slightly removed. And then I think it becomes very difficult for us to, to, to you know, to keep in touch with, you know, what, what is really motivating our employees. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those would be you know, kind of, I mean, I, get, I think that's probably only two steps um, that I mentioned, but those, those, those things have always underpinned everything I've done. I, I've been almost fanatical about culture and bringing in the right people. Um, so that would be the first thing. Um, and then trying to keep the, the conversations going as frequently as possible. So, for example, um, I still have um, uh, weekly conversations um, with, 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 with employees, and I've got over uh, 110 at a virtual and I just pick up the phone and give someone a call and just say, how's it going? And we just have a nice informal chat. And it's just part of my weekly routine. And I just get such amazing um, ideas from those conversations. Um, and it's not necessarily just about how to create a better you know, workplace environment, though that's definitely the conversation I lead with. I get ideas on, on how to better look after our customers and products, services. But the value of talking to our employees goes far beyond um, you know, creating, you know, great, great workplaces and, and employee engagement, it, it can offer so many other great insights as well. Um, I think on top of that, um, the, the other thing is, is obviously, you know, as the company scales, it's picking the, the right type of leaders who, I guess, share 
my belief in how things um, how, how people should be managed and have the I think that the listening skills, the empathy to to work with employees and to be seen maybe not as managers, but as um, as people that they can rely on who've got their back um, is, is really, really key. Um, so that's a big part of, of, of what I look for um, in my managers um, are those attributes. So you are an IO psychologist dream. <laughs> so everything that you've described really aligns with um, what we would recommend, the research, you know, finding the right fit employees right off the bat is such a huge thing that can make such a difference in terms of the way the organization functions, the way the teams work together, is finding those people that are a good fit to the culture, that buy into the culture, and that are going to contribute um, in a positive way. And then that does translate, obviously, to continued leadership, um, making sure your leaders align with that. And then, in addition, to keep those communications open and, you know, as Companies continue to scale. That's where, you know, some surveys and different types of approaches to get to all of the employees and get their voices heard um, need to be taken, right, as organizations get larger and larger. But there's definitely something to be said about continuing to have that communication and allowing people to express how they feel, whether it's to their direct leader, to the overall leader, to, every, you know, to leadership teams. Um, I think that's very important to continue and get that voice heard so that you can tweak what you're doing to make sure that people are happy and create a sustainable culture where people are able to thrive. Um, so I think that everything you said makes a lot of sense and aligns exactly with what I would recommend. So thank you. <laughs> I'd like to add, um, just you, you started off the question with, you know, kind of advice to entrepreneurs. Um, I think there's this um, kind of mindset now amongst um many entrepreneurs that you should be able to do all of these things. You know, you should be able to, you know, understand the tech. You should be great with people. You should be a great salesperson. You should be all of these things. The truth is no one is, is good at all of these things. I, um, I, I'm, I'm very, very bad at many things. I've, I think I've, I've been fortunate that I feel that, you know, one of my key strengths is my ability to work with people. And, and, and I've used that and I've, I've invested a lot of my time in that. If you don't have that ability, and you really, and I, I would encourage entrepreneurs to really look at the, look at themselves in the mirror, and be very honest with themselves. If you do not have the ability to listen and to lead with empathy and do all those other things, I, I would suggest bringing in a partner who does. Um, very much like um, if I were to launch a you know a software company, I don't know anything about tech. I would go and get um, a, a partner as a CTO. I'm not going to try and learn the tech and get you know, and get used to that. But I think sometimes when it comes to, to people, um, we feel that we feel that it's a, a skill that can be learned or that we, or it's something that as leaders we should have and we must learn it. And, and I, and I think that's, I don't, I don't actually agree with that. Um, I, I think you'd be better off trying to find someone who, who's got those skills and bring them as a, in as a partner, because it is such a critical part of, of starting and scaling a business. Yeah, I think that that's a really, really good point. And, you know, making sure that this isn't just, you know, relevant to uh, individuals who have, you know, huge amounts of, you know, that people don't think that this is an insurmountable task, that I have to be an expert at every single thing. Uh, every single thing I do needs to be something that I cover all the bases on. I think entrepreneurs often feel like they have to be a jack of all trades and also like have every leadership skill in the book. So I think that that's really, 
helpful to say, as long as you're asking the right questions and recognizing this is an important domain that needs to be fulfilled somehow, that you might not be the, the person that's behind that, but that you know that it's a core component. Um, so I think that's a really good point because people are also very exhausted and uh, sometimes get stretched thin trying to think that they have to cover every single um, base in the business. So I think that's really useful. Um, some of your uh, personal journey has also been surrounding your own path to wellness as an individual. So one thing that I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on uh, before we kind of head into our, our last couple of questions here is, you know, from your perspective, from a just from an individual level, like let's say someone is not able to shift the culture of a company because they're working in a company and they're not calling the shots. What are some things on a daily basis for you that help you to maintain your wellness that you would that you would recommend to other people that even if they're not in the best work environment that you sort of learned over the time, over time works for you and makes you feel better and more well in your life, regardless of the circumstance you're in. Sure. Um, I've talked about a few of them. Um, and, and I think these are, you know, very, very well known, but, um, you know, exercise, if, if I do not exercise, then, um, um, it has a massive impact on my ability to work and my just general well being. Um, when I was in Costa Rica, um, you know, I, I I became you know much more aware of of what of the effect that what we put into our body what what that has on our mental well-being it's just extraordinary to me so I'm very conscious of what I eat um, um, I started meditating in Costa Rica which I find is an incredible way of of just stopping the noise for a second um, so those are all you know three common things um, however I think probably um, something perhaps which isn't um, well, I think it is, is probably not as not it's not as well known, but I think it's becoming more and more well known. In fact, I know that um, Tim Ferriss has recently started advertising um, I'm, I'm not, um, a new product um, where he is promoting the morning rituals of successful entrepreneurs. Um, and I was listening to a podcast. Um, through uh, by EO, which is the entrepreneurs organization, which is the largest entrepreneurs organization in the world, and I'm, which I'm a member of. And there was a great podcast that was put out um, in the last few weeks um, to help people uh, develop better routines to deal with the stress of, of COVID. And um, it was it was all about your morning routine. And I've now been practicing this for the last couple of weeks, and it's really had a massive impact on huge impact on, on how I feel for the rest of the day. So I would say whatever your work environment and however stressful is, how you'll start your day is key. So I, if I can, I'll give you a very, very quick rundown of, of, of what that is, what I practice myself. So the number one thing is not to start your day by looking at a screen. Um, so I now have a, a, you know, particularly with looking at news and social media. Um, it's basically the, the, the idea behind it is putting positive thoughts and inspiration in, into your brain. So I keep a pad and pen by my, um, by my bed. Um, and I start my day with waking up and writing down uh, one thing that I'm grateful for. Um, I also write down one thing that I've been proud of that I've achieved over the last week. Um, I then read or listen to something um, that I find inspirational, and I spend about 10 minutes doing that. Um, I then also write, have a, uh, once a week, I write down um, the things that I'm looking to achieve um, over that course of the week. And I divide into four categories, which are 
business, family, community, and self. Um, and these are, you know, simple things like make sure I meditate, um, you know, spend more time with my kids. And it just this kind of focus in the morning about things that make me feel good has a really big impact on the rest of my day. Um, and I found it very, very useful. Um, I used to do it about 10 years ago. I forgot about it. I've restarted it again. And um, it's a really simple tip, trick um, that I think everyone should implement. Um, and yeah, very, very, very quick results. That sounds like such a great approach. I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about morning routines, um, but I haven't heard one described such as your own, where you start with that gratitude piece, which we know in the research is huge for helping um, reduce stress and helping you focus. So I think that's a great start. Um, And I like that you set yourself up that right in bed, you've got that notepad right there so that you don't get distracted um, with grabbing your phone as you get out of bed. I feel like that's an easy thing to do is, okay, well, I'm getting out of bed, I got to grab my phone, and then you go to the living room, but on your way over there, you may have looked at your phone. While if you do it right there in bed, it'll, I think it'll help get you focused in that moment versus letting yourself get distracted. At least that's how I feel. I feel like for me, if I get out of bed, I've already got my phone in my hand, so I'm more likely to, more likely to look at I, it. I cannot, think, I think, I cannot think of a, of a worse way to start your day than, than look at your phone. Um, uh, you know, um, I think particularly for entrepreneurs where we're constantly fighting fires and dealing with issues, um, it's a terrible way to do things. And I, I've actually got into a very good habit that at seven o'clock every night, I, I turn off my phone and I leave it in the kitchen. So I actually have kind of zero tech from um, pretty much seven till seven. I wake up at six and I have an hour of talking to my kids, doing the exercises I just said. And, I, and that gives me peace of mind and clarity and, and, and also importantly, just, just time to think. Um, I think one of the problems with, with, with tech is it, it, it can, you know, get in the way of our ability to just to think about things, which is so important. Well, what a novel, novel concept. You probably have a different alarm than I do because mine is just my phone. So maybe it's just investing in an alarm so you can put your phone somewhere else and not worry about exactly. it. <laughs> First steps, baby steps. <laughs> Yeah, I think that uh, these tips are super helpful. And also, once you get into a rhythm of doing it, a lot of a lot of what I'm hearing you say is that you started to get into new habits. And once you got into the rhythm of the habit, you saw the benefit. And the benefit and seeing the benefit is really what cements that habit. So I think oftentimes getting the wheels turning is the most difficult part. And then once you get into the routine, it's like, oh, this is actually something I can't imagine why I didn't do this before. So I think that... Um, seeing that that's what happened for you is uh, also helps people to recognize that they can maybe do the same thing, even if it's a little bit hard to get things going to start, that there's a benefit at the end. Um, so what else do you think our listeners should know about you or about your message or about uh, what what they should be doing to enhance wellness? Um, anything else that you think that they would uh, be uh, would be beneficial for them to hear? Um, yeah, so I think probably the... the- I think probably the main thing is to lead by example. Um, I read an article years ago that the, I think it was the founder of um, MailChimp um, always left the office at 5.30 because he wanted to go home and spend time with his children. And, you know, if, if you create a culture um, that thrive, you know, that, and as the CEO and the founder that you're, you know, first in, last out, never take lunch, you know, never exercise, kind of high stress environment, then, then your your team will feel they have to do the same. So 
and this is and this is hard. I find this really, really hard. And sometimes I, I fail at it because you feel as a leader and possibly rightly that everyone is looking at you. And if you do slack off a bit, people are going to do the same. But I don't, and I, I guess slack off was the wrong term. Um, it's using, um, setting an example of using your time to prep yourself and prepare yourself to work more efficiently and better and be happier. And if you want your team if you believe in the things that we've been talking about today, if you believe that um, happier employees um, are more productive, I mean, it's fairly obvious when you say it like that, then you have to lead by example and you have to talk about it and be honest about it. Um, and I think that's kind of um, be, been a key thing for me. But it, it's been very hard. And I know as, um, I, I know that a lot of entrepreneurs that I talk to struggle with, uh, even though they they passionately believe one of the reasons they become become entrepreneurs is to have more free time and, and you know control their own schedule they do find it hard to lead by example when it comes to kind of work a better kind of work life in balance and environment for themselves i hope that makes sense yeah i mean that's definitely a challenge that I feel like I still struggle with and a lot of people do but I think you're right it is really important that leaders show the example and even if you're going to break your rule and work in the evening do it away from your employees you know leave the office and do it at home or find a way to at least model the right behaviors to them even if you're going to break it which you shouldn't be but if you're going to at least make the the visuals and the cues um, obvious to the team so that they can um, take your lead and take care of their wellness as well. So, you know, there's going to be some days as an entrepreneur, I think here and there where maybe you have to do a late night because you're starting up a business and there's a lot of demands on you, but that doesn't mean you have to put that on other people. So trying to at least um, in those one-off days project the right image still is really important and trying to limit those days for yourself obviously is important as well it's really important you know to, to communicate with people about yeah. what your expectations are for example you know yeah sometimes i get up at four in the morning and i you know i've got an idea in my head and i'll rattle off you know 50 emails you know by 6 a.m um i think it's important you know for, i think i like to think that my team know that i don't expect them to be working at similar hours and it's just the way that my mind works um and, and, and as long as, you know, there's, there's you know, plan, transparency about what is expected in the workplace, then I, then I think it is, I think that's fine and um, really helps um, people understand what, what is expected of them. Yeah, definitely. That transparency is key. So making sure that everyone knows and um, rewarding people for doing those things or at least praising them that they're able to do, you know, whatever they need to do for their work and life um, so that you're not just being transparent and telling them what you expect. But if they move outside of that, so if you see that they're sending emails in the middle of the night, um, you can ask the question and see what's going on with them. So they see that, oh, you actually meant this, that I shouldn't be sending emails in the middle of the night. You don't expect me to be doing that. So now I know because you have asked me if I'm okay, that I can step back and not worry about it at that hour, for example. Yeah, exactly. So do you have um, anything you want to plug in terms of your businesses for our audience before we move on to a final fun question? Um, yeah. So I, I guess, um, you know, in, in terms of my business, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with time. Um, I think uh, we haven't touched upon this, but the, the big thing for me is making sure I, I protect my time. So um, I, I started my business, A Virtual, which is the virtual assistant one, about six years ago when I was just looking for more time in my life. 
Um, and, you know, it, it's grown really well over the last um, six years. And we now supply high quality virtual assistants to businesses um, across, across North America and the US. Um, and, you know, the, the, the concept behind it is that you can, you know, get someone in um, to come and help you in, in all areas of your business functions and, and, and the business proposition is fully flexible packages from you know five hours a month up to full time there's no long-term contracts there's no recruiter cost there's no hr issues so um you know we we well i guess one of the reasons i'm so passionate about the business is we found that one of the, the the main thing that the reason why people love working with us is they do get flexibility over their hours and the clients love working with us because they get flexibility over um kind of their their payroll costs so it's kind of a, a win-win. Um, so yeah, that was my that was my plug for my business. Awesome, awesome. So to wrap things up, we have a final fun question, or I, or we think it's a fun question. Hopefully, you think it's fun too. Um, <laughs> so the final fun question is: You have lived in several different countries. Uh, imagine that you had to move to another country right now. What new country would you choose to live in at this time? Cool. Right now. So this is your, you're talking, you're talking to me as I enter my third week of lockdown in Cape Town, South Africa, which is a wonderful place to be, but we're in a pretty um, strict lockdown here. So we're not actually allowed, we haven't been allowed out of our houses for three weeks. Um, So right now, to be quite honest, I'd go anywhere. Uh, But, but yeah, (laughs) we're in the same boat. Um, But if you're asking me right now, um, I, in fact, I was talking to my wife about it the other night. Um, I would go to the Maldives. Um, I love to surf. I was there. Um, I was there a couple of years ago. Um, the Maldives is made up of, of hundreds, thousands of islands. And I think we could find ourselves a very nice, safe, isolated little island with some private waves nearby. The kids would be happy, um, you know, mucking around on the beach and diving and swimming and snorkeling. I think that would be an ideal place. Certain, I could I could live there for a while. I'm not sure about the rest of the family, but uh, right now, um, <laughs> as we talk, that's where I'd like to be. That sounds beautiful and awesome yeah. and a good idea. Well, you have brought up that idea for uh, uh, moving a long time ago to Costa Rica, so uh, maybe. Maybe your wife will go for the Maldives uh, too. I, I, think, I, think, I think she's uh, she's been very generous in the past. I think I think my uh, my options. Are- oh man, that sounds Maybe beautiful though. I would love to go. Over. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Um, it's been really fascinating to learn all about your journey. I think it's so unique. Um, and, uh, I hope that our listeners really take away some key points, which are, it's not too late to switch around your path. And it's also, uh, not too late to start thinking about how you can infuse your workplace culture with more wellness, um, and better outcomes from a health and mental well-being standpoint. So thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much to Richard for joining us today and talking about his journey and great tips for workplace wellness. We will include all the links to his businesses and everything he's talked about in the show notes. So please check them out. And if you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on social media at workerbeing or on our website, workerbeing.com. Thanks for listening. 
Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.